Amen. Thank you, Brother Phil. Thank you, Miss Winter. Great job. Great songs. Great thoughts. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. We are, as probably most or all of you know at this point, we are on Sunday nights working through a series on Bible doctrine. I want you to understand what we teach here uh, to be sound doctrine from the Scriptures. And I want any of you who are interested to not just simply know what the Bible teaches, uh, I want you to know why. Why you believe what you believe. Christianity has been watered down because some mistakenly think uh, something to be a preference when it is actually biblical. And Christianity, on the other side, has been wounded by those who treat preferences like key doctrines. I pray God would give us grace and wisdom here to know the difference. Uh, sound doctrine, of course, is the key to our spiritual stability. That's why the Scriptures say give attendance to doctrine. Give it attention. Take heed to doctrine. That's why the Bible warns us that in the last days some would depart from the faith. Not all. Some would depart from the faith. That's why the Bible exhorts us in Jude verse 3 that we should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And if you and I don't know what the faith is, if we don't know what key Bible doctrines are, there is no way we can stand on them, get stability from them, and earnestly contend for them. Last Sunday night, we answered the question, what is a biblical church? And though the biblical definition of a church is generally ignored in American Christianity for the sake of what is called unity among those who call themselves Christian, Jesus was very clear in what He meant when He said, upon this rock I will build My church. The other 21 times He used that word. Uh, 12 were plural, 7 were specific churches and specific cities, and Two were a place that you could bring a brother who had sinned against you. According to Jesus, not only does the word translated as church mean assembly, Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He clearly meant that there would always be local churches that He was building standing firmly upon His word and what He asked us to do. Now, each local assembly of believers has Christ as her head, the Bible as her final authority, and one called, ordained spiritual leader who will answer to Christ in a special way for what goes on in the assembly they lead. There is no such thing as a universal church. There is no such thing as an invisible church. All believers cannot rightly be called the church until we assemble together in heaven and by the way, what a day that'll be, amen? Uh, tonight's thought is similar, but not the same. And as most of you know, I planned my messages out months uh, in advance. Tonight's thought was planned months ago. Uh, tonight's thought is similar to a message I preached on our first Sunday morning uh, when we moved into this auditorium a couple of months ago, and I actually considered skipping it because of that, but as I thought and prayed about it, um, because I don't go into much detail on a Sunday morning anyway, and many of you were in children's church or working in nursery or away still, uh, I thought uh, I was going to do this and add some detail from that. It's not the same message, but it is some similar content. I wanted us to have emphasis on this truth because in our day and age, uh, the purpose of a biblical church has been warped. What is the mission of a biblical church? What is the reason we assemble? 
I believe if you're sitting on a Sunday night in a church like this one, you want to define a church the way Christ defined His church. You want to do in church what Christ wanted done in His church. Uh, what is the biblical mission of a church? What is the main purpose we assemble? Now all over our country, people uh, say the church's primary purpose is to be an agent of political change. This has been increasingly common probably in the last 30 years, but is shaping the political landscape, the main reason we assemble. Other people believe the church's primary purpose is to be the agent of social change and social justice. To them, the purpose of the church is first to battle racism, poverty, hunger, climate change, and man-made pollution. Should any of those be our focus? All over our country are people who believe the church's primary purpose is to be a place where Christians gather and have their social needs met through fellowship and activities. Is fellowship the main reason Christ established us as one of His bodies here? Some believe the primary purpose of the church is to be the focal point of worship. Now that would be strange indeed since there's not one single example in the New Testament of a worship service. And the three times the word worship is used as Jesus said, my Father wants people to worship Him in spirit and truth and seek us such. The three times that word is used in the nine letters Paul wrote to seven churches and the four letters he wrote to three church pastors. None of those three examples have anything to do with the worship service. I don't debate that part of what we do when we're here is worship, but is worship supposed to be the primary focus of a biblical church? All over our country are people who feel the purpose of the church is to bail them out. We get multiple calls every week of people who are just going down the phone book, hey, this and this is going on in my life. Uh, do you pay rent? No, I'm sorry, we don't do that. Click. Uh, hey, they're going to shut my electric bill off tomorrow. Do you pay people's electric bill? No, I'm sorry, we don't do that for people outside our church. Click. I, I don't debate our need to be charitable. But is charity to the poor supposed to be the focus of a New Testament church? Now there are several reasons for believers to assemble and several purposes the Lord has in establishing and building His churches. But as a biblical church, what is our main focus? And I just want to remind everybody, we went over this last week, First and foremost, this is not our church, it is the Lord's church. And so, He establishes our agenda, it is He who establishes what our focus is supposed to be. Please, if you're able to stand, stand in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought tonight is simply, What is the Mission of a Biblical Church? What is the Mission of a Biblical Church? Matthew 28. Verse 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you all way 
even unto the end of the world. Amen. Thank you. You might be seated. The section of the Scripture, as most of you already know, contains what is often called the Great Commission of the Church. Now there is some kind of similar commission given at the end of each one of the four Gospels and early in the book of Acts. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to His disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. This morning, uh, as a part of our Sunday morning message, it was a part of our text where in Luke 24, Jesus said to His disciples, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name, that is, the name of Christ among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and your witnesses of these things. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. You see, it is this commission on which we see churches throughout the book of Acts focused rather than the things so many American churches are focused on today. Now in Matthew 28, we see the audience of this particular Commission in verse 16, it says the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. We see that after they had personally seen the resurrected Christ, they struggled with doubt just like we do. In verse 17, when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. They did not doubt whether Jesus was alive. They didn't doubt whether He was physically raised from the dead. They did not doubt any of those things, but they doubted what would happen next. By the way, think about how fearful it would be to have had Jesus physically with you for three to three and a half years, and then now all of a sudden He's leaving, and even though He promised another comforter, listen, it was a big change, and they were afraid what was going to happen next. But thankfully, instead of acting on their doubt, they acted on their faith, and they worshipped Him. They chose to reverently bow in His presence. We see the foundation of this commission in verse 18. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Remember when it's therefore, we ask what it's there for. It is a linking word. Because He has all power in heaven and earth, He commissioned His churches to do those things that He next commands. What is the great commission to His churches? Notice it begins with a method of ministry. Notice it says in verse 19, go. (laughs) I remember many years ago, the first time I heard somebody say, uh, our message doesn't change, but our methods do. I probably said amen, but at that time I didn't understand that there are some biblical methods. It is not just our message that doesn't change. There are biblical methods that should not change either, either because we've been specifically given them. Going to the world with the gospel of Christ is a biblical method. It is not a cultural method to be discarded when we don't want to do it or culture doesn't appreciate it. Think about it. How pointless would it be for Jesus Christ in a book that people in the world don't read for Him to command them to come? So instead what He did in a book we are commanded to read, He told us to go. This method was for them. He said, go ye. Now, of course, most of us know that today, this method has largely been replaced by churches trying to get people to come to them. 
By the way, here at Bible Baptist Church, our four backyard Bible clubs, our visitation program, our follow-up visits, our track ministry, our bus ministry, our teen van routes, our flyer distribution that's coming up in just a couple of uh, weeks. That's designed for us as a church to go and to reach our world in obedience to this command from Christ. I do not believe everyone here has to be involved in all of those, but I do believe that everyone who is a member of Bible Baptist Church should be a part of at least some of those. A biblical church has a focus on going rather than coming to us ministries. Have you ever really thought about Jesus and His ministry? Going was His method of ministry too. Listen, He didn't pitch a tent in Capernaum. He didn't buy an apartment in Jerusalem and just expect everyone to go to Him. People did come to Him in those places. He was in them a lot. But by and large, Jesus Himself and His apostles, they went from city to city and village to village going with the message that He had to bring the world. Uh, But it wasn't just Jesus. This was the method of the early church. Keep your hand in Matthew, but go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. This next verse you'll recognize because we have this verse on our stationery. We have this verse on our mission stickers in the hallway with our mission boards. We have uh, this verse on the uh, board when you come in our main entrance. Going was the practice of the early churches and individual Christians in the book of Acts. Notice in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42. It says, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Here it is. And daily in the temple and in every house... They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. All over everything here, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Go up a few pages to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and he didn't want to stop in the city of Ephesus. He'd spent a long time there, had a lot of acquaintances there, didn't have enough time to go there himself, so he stopped nearby, and he called what we would today call the staff from the large church in the city of Ephesus to him, and he had a a message to say to them. And notice in this message, in Acts chapter 20, in verse 20, in Acts 20, 20, it says these words. He says, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. What was his public message and house to house message? Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He taught them to go. The early church, they went. That was the method of ministry. Um, listen, th- there's nothing wrong with things designed to motivate people to come to church. Uh, we do things like that here too, and there's certainly nothing wrong with it. I mean, listen, you can have concerts and drama and youth activities and athletic events 
Uh, you can have dinners uh, on the 20th of November. We're going to have a grand opening uh, here for uh, the new building that the Lord has given us. We've got uh, 27,000 flyers that we're going to place on doors in Fairfield and Hamilton and Westchester, not just with a copy of the gospel, but also with an invitation to our grand opening. We're trying to get them to come here. But listen, uh, getting people to come is not our focus. It is not our main method. Method. Our main method is going with the gospel. But it takes more than just that method of ministry to fulfill the Great Commission. If you go back there to Matthew chapter 28, and we'll keep going back and forth there. The Great Commission is not just a method of ministry. The Great Commission continues with a primary message of biblical churches. In verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What in the world is it we're supposed to teach them? Uh, How about repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, uh, this wasn't just a message for the Jews, though it went first to them. Uh, This wasn't a message that was just for the children of those who already believed, though it included them. Listen, everyone needed to hear about the shed blood, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation He offers by grace. Have you ever really thought, instead of thinking it to be such a burden that you and I are to be witnesses for Christ, of what kind of a privilege it is? I, I don't know. You know, sometimes I get a little upset at myself because, you know, sometimes I feel like, wow, it's a burden carrying gospel tracts. It's a burden while I'm sitting next to this person on the plane. I need to say something. Listen, God could have commissioned angels to carry this message. In fact, even when he sent an angel to Cornelius, he didn't have the angel tell Cornelius about Christ. He told the angel to, he told Cornelius, the angel did, to send for Peter, who told him about Christ. Listen, God could have written this message in the clouds and stars. Listen, God could have audibly spoken this message from the throne of the universe like he did when he said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God could have done that. But he chose you and me to carry this message. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Most of you know the Corinthian church was the most carnal church to whom Paul wrote. Now especially that was true in 1 Corinthians and he rebuked them for several issues that were going on in the church. He called them carnal. He called them babes. By 2 Corinthians, uh, because they had humble hearts, had responded well to what he said to them in 1 Corinthians, uh, but he reminds them of their purpose in 2 Corinthians. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. He says, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. I've got that word us circled in my Bible. That was Paul and the Corinthian believers, verse 19, to it, which means that is to say, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I've got that word us circled again. This wasn't just the task of the apostles. It wasn't just the task of the staff. It was every Christian to whom has been committed this word of reconciliation. Verse 20, Now then we, 
That means Paul and those to whom he wrote, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ set dead, be reconciled to God. By the way, you've heard me say that phrase a hundred times here. I pray in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. That's from that Bible verse. You've heard me say it a hundred times. Turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 15. We think about the message of the Grace Commission. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Notice what he rebukes them for. He says, awake to righteousness in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. And sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Have you ever considered that it is your job and mine in the circle of life, circle of our individual lives, that people have the knowledge of God? Listen, most of the people in the circle of your life would never come and hear me. It's not my job to get to them the knowledge of God. It's my job to get the knowledge of God to you, and then your job to get the knowledge of God to the people in the circle of your life and the Corinthians hadn't done that, and Paul says, you know what, that's a shame. You see, this great commission was personal. We need to consider what we're doing as individuals. This commission was corporate. It's something we need to make sure we're doing here as a church at Bible Baptist Church. Are we doing what we need to do to reach our Jerusalem, Fairfield, and Hamilton, and Westchester? Are we doing what we need to do to reach our own Judea, the communities in and around the greater Cincinnati area? Are we doing what we need to do to reach our Samaria, the cities outside of our region? Are we doing what we need to do to reach the uttermost parts of the earth, the uttermost part of the earth, our state, our country, and our world? Are we doing our part as a church? What are you doing to be your part? Taking the greatest message ever told to our world. Can I suggest please that you not just start with our community. I pray you would start with your own family. Your own friends. People in the circle of your life. By the way, generally speaking, they're the hardest people to witness to. But it is the place we're supposed to start. If you go back to Matthew 19, it is not just... That the Great Commission has a message on which we focus. Notice also the Great Commission continues with a first step of obedience after believing the message we teach. In verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. By the way, if the church is commanded to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, that means believers are commanded to be baptized. We spent a whole message on that two weeks ago. What is biblical baptism? For for tonight, I want to just simply remind you that biblical baptism is the first step of obedience that believers in Jesus Christ take. And you and I see it done constantly and consistently throughout the book of Acts shortly after someone chooses to believe. And I've said this before, I do not understand a believer who does not seek believer's baptism as soon as they are aware of what it means and Christ's command to do so. Listen, I, I get it. Baptism isn't part of salvation, so why talk about it or to put emphasis on it? I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, Jesus put emphasis on it. I mean, how much more emphasis do you want on it when He put it in the Great Commission to His churches? 
Listen, I know you and I live in a day and age when we are wrongly being told the only things that matter are things associated with the gospel or things associated with salvation, but that is just not consistent with the New Testament. The whole idea that nothing matters in the spiritual realm outside of things linked directly with salvation might sound good to the modern ignorant ear, but it's not true. But it isn't just that the Great Commission has a first step of obedience. The Great Commission continues with an ongoing process of teaching those who have believed in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things. By the way, if you highlight your Bible, and I hope you do, underline things, write things in the margin, make it a personal document between you and your Creator. He said, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. (laughs) You see, we're not just commanded to go. We're not just commanded to tell the world of Christ and grace. We're not just commanded to baptize those who believe. We're also commanded to teach believers the things Jesus taught His disciples. In fact, Jesus specifically gifted some of His disciples to teach. One of the seven permanent spiritual gifts is teaching. All over this room are people God has gifted and called you to teach. Some teach children, some teach teens, some teach adults, but all over this room are people God has specifically gifted to do that, and all of us as individuals are supposed to teach, we as a church are supposed to teach, and some here are specially gifted to teach all that Jesus taught. Uh, The things Jesus taught are first scattered throughout the Gospels. We're to teach them to His disciples. I've heard people say that uh, if you're a Gentile believer, you you ought to be focused on what Paul taught. Uh, You know, the more over the years I've thought about that, that's such a silly thing. Uh, Jesus said, teach them what I taught. I'm a Christian, not a Paulinian. What Jesus taught matters most, and we have a responsibility to teach believers all that Jesus taught. And by the way, Jesus didn't just teach how to live forever. He taught His disciples how to live. He taught them how to be blessed. He taught them how to be rewarded by their God someday. He taught them about judgment. He taught all kinds of things, and He said, teach them everything I taught. But what he taught isn't just in the Gospels, it's also scattered throughout the rest of the New Testament. And as we learned last Sunday morning on Jesus last night in John chapter 16, Jesus said, you know what, I have some things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. But after that the Holy Ghost has come, He will teach you all things. Listen, all throughout the New Testament are things Jesus taught, and we're commanded to teach them. Not just teach things linked to the gospel. Not just teach things linked to salvation. Teach everything Jesus taught. Listen, I know the gospel matters most. It is the gospel that keeps people out of hell. But it isn't just the gospel that Paul taught the church in Ephesus. Keep your hand there. Go back again to Acts chapter 20. Remember, Acts chapter 20 was where uh, Paul was addressing the staff, if you will, of the church in Ephesus, which was a very large church by that time. Notice 
how Paul describes his ministry there in Ephesus as he's closing it out with these men. Verse 26, Acts 20, 26. He says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. By the way, before we go on, would you say that's a good goal? For any spiritual leader, for any parent, to be pure from the blood of all men. In other words, you have handled yourself and taught in such a way that anything they do is not your fault. Notice how he describes how he did that in verse 27. He says, For I have not shunned to declare all the counsel of God. Not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Notice, he didn't just teach them the gospel. He taught them all the counsel of God. Notice then he's going to warn them, take heed to yourselves in verse 28, therefore, uh, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Notice he warns them the same thing Jesus warned them of. Remember him warning about uh, false prophets, wolves, in sheep's clothing. Paul warns these Christian leaders, listen, he said, after I'm gone, there's going to come some wolves. But that isn't all he warns them about in verse 30. He says, also of your own selves. He's talking to a bunch of Christian leaders. Shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So you mean Paul warned these Christian leaders about other Christians? Yep. By the way, that's part of all the counsel of God. Now that exchange between Paul and these spiritual leaders might not fit American Christianity in 2022 very well, but it fits very well with what we've learned the church is, what we've learned baptism is, what we've learned about the importance of doctrine. Now for churches like ours who do have some emphasis on going and reaching others, I think we would agree that the most difficult aspect of the Great Commission is teaching disciples what Jesus taught. Now some churches fail to tell anyone outside their immediate family about Christ. Other churches tell all kinds of people, but they fail to do anything for new believers so that they can learn of Christ and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Listen, that leaves sheep vulnerable. Have you ever wondered why Bible Baptist Church has not canceled our Sunday evening service? I believe this is good for you. Have you ever wondered why we still have Sunday school? I believe Sunday school is good for you. Listen, if you don't have Sunday school, how do people who have been gifted by God to teach children or teach teenagers or teach adults, how do they ever even manifest themselves? There's a reason we still have Bible study on Wednesday night. Listen, there's a reason we have seven adult Bible classes and for adults uh, during Sunday school, and we're clearing out space now that we have that end of the building done to start an eighth one. There's a reason. There's a reason we try to get anybody who gets saved to go through discipleship. To sit down one-on-one with a more seasoned and knowledgeable believer to learn the basics of the Christian life and the things of the, of the Scriptures. Listen, my, my desire is not just that people be saved here. 
My desire is that people learn of Him. To grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm thankful to God that we have people we led to Christ here who are Sunday school teachers. People that have been saved here who fill positions of all sorts. Sadly, there's not a lot of depth to much of modern Christianity because people know far too little about what Jesus taught us about life, what Jesus taught us about character, what Jesus taught about the coming judgment seat of Christ. And unfortunately, I think you'd agree that the trend in American Christianity is to more and more try to get people to worship a God about whom they know less and less. Listen, our Creator wants to be worshipped in truth, not just in spirit. But it's not just that the Great Commission has a command to teach believers all that Jesus taught. Go back to it, if you would, please. Matthew 28. See, the Great Commission concludes with a wonderful promise. Notice in the end of verse 20, and he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Now that promise certainly applies to us as individual uh, believers because Christ lives in us, but that is really an application of this text rather than the interpretation of this text because the Great Commission wasn't given per se to an individual. No individual goes into all the world with the Gospel. The Great Commission was primarily given to Christ's churches. And though that is a good application of this text, the interpretation of this text is that Jesus promises to be in a special way with any of His churches who do these things. Listen, if you and I want to have the presence of God in the work of God here, we need to keep doing what Christ sent us here to do. And so changing our Savior's clearest marching orders for uh, it's not an option for a biblical church. Let me ask you, are you doing your part to fulfill this focus? It's not up to a church to define their own method, their own message, their own mission, or work in our world. It's not our church. Despite how much it may make sense to us, uh, the primary method and mission and message and the work of a church is not to change the political landscape, though Christians should vote. It is not to feed the hungry or clothe the naked, though we should be charitable. It is not to battle COVID, COVID regulations, or monkeypox, though we should care about what's going on around us. It is not, listen, we're not here to battle the homosexual agenda and the transgender movement. Now listen, if we embrace biblical morality, those are hellish. But, but we're not put in our culture to fight those things. We are put in our culture to go with the gospel, to teach people about Jesus Christ so they could be saved, to baptize anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to teach any believer who's willing to listen all the things that Jesus Christ taught us. And this purpose ought to impact every ministry here in some way. And it ought to impact our personal lives in some way. Listen, the world didn't persecute the church in Jerusalem or Paul when he went all over the known world establishing and planting churches and 
training spiritual leaders or ordaining pastors in those churches. The world didn't hate them because they just went around telling everybody, hey, God loves you, do whatever you want. The world didn't hate them because they went around saying, hey, God loves you, here's a leather flask of water. The world didn't hate them because they went from city to city painting buildings and picking up garbage and making everything look better. The world doesn't hate that stuff. What the world hates is people who want to do good and they always attach the message of Jesus Christ with it. I got this statement highlighted in my notes. It's easy to spend our lives doing good but miss Christ's focus and end up making this world a better place to go to hell from. Let me just say that again. Because I put it in highlighter. It's easy to spend our... Listen, I'm no different from you. I get caught up in this stuff too. And, And sometimes I just need a little smack in the top of the head. Hey, get back doing what you're here to do. I've told you publicly, I've told a lot of people privately, man, for, I mean, I spent months just focused on this building. I mean, hours and hours and hours supervising contractors and approving drawings and meeting with everybody involved. And it's taken me from the thing that the things that I'm really here most to do. And I don't like that, but it needed to be done. And I've talked to our staff. I said, listen, you know, we need to get this dust settled and we need to be get back to doing what we're needing to do. We haven't stopped doing it, but we haven't been able to do it like I want to do it. It's easy to spend our lives doing good, but miss Christ's focus and end up making this world a better place to go to hell from. <laughs> Culture wants a church who will help social problems and be silent about Christ. Culture wants a church who spearheads environmental concerns and is silent about Christ. Culture wants a church whose methods and message don't show them to be hell-bound sinners in need of the one and only Savior of the world. (laughs) Culture accepts a church who says believe anything you want, do anything you want, say anything you want because God loves you. But culture hates a church with the preeminence of Jesus Christ and the moral standards that our Creator designed us to live by. New Testament churches confronted their culture with a method and message of the Great Commission. They knew Christ had sent them to do so. They were persecuted. They were misunderstood. They were often hated. They were generally unappreciated. But they were effective. I don't know how you're wired. To me, it really bothers me when people don't like me. It really bothers me when people think I'm dumb. You believe the Bible? It it just eats away at me. But more than we want our culture to approve of us and what we believe and do, 
we must, from our heart, be determined to fulfill this commission given to us by Jesus Christ. I don't know what your part filling that is here. All I would do is ask you to find it and fulfill it. Amen? Amen. If you quietly stand.